T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This time on Vet Story. It's an inside perspective uh, on the daily life of, of Marines in Afghanistan. Because I just got sick of seeing the same inaccurate portrayals, you know? You truly get, you get un, almost uncomfortably close to these guys because I was one of them. But there's sort of the scene towards the end when Jacob Levy gets shot. And I start firing at these two guys on a hill. You have like the super gym rat guys that were ordering steroids and stuff. The guys there, you know, we they, we were smoking pot a lot. Reaches into his pocket and pulls out uh, a piece of hash the size of a baseball. What kind of hurdles did you have to clear to get this B-roll put together? You kind of have to externalize this. The humorous way that you have to treat death almost, you know, just to get by. So I'm proud. I'm proud that I made it out alive. Um, but I have a lot of reflective feelings about why I wanted to go in the first place. I don't think there was a mission. I'm not sure what the mission was. Even the generals have no fucking answer to that. And then I realized the only way that they can understand is by just showing it, closing the military civilian gap, you know? Welcome to Vet Story. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, over the last couple years, I've interviewed everyone, from authors to actors to TV show writers, but very few have brought a project that's as provocative, as controversial, as the one you're about to hear. Miles Lagozzi is a Marine Corps veteran and a filmmaker. His recent war documentary is called Combat Obscura. Jessica Duffield at Vox Magazine writes, The beauty of the film is its realness. All the footage is taken directly from his camera. The camera, incidentally, was the one issued to him by the Marine Corps as a member of the division known as Combat Camera. And just like Miles's film, our phone conversation is raw and real. We'll talk about the uncomfortable conversations he had to have with officials in the Marine Corps and the Department of Defense just to be able to release the film. And he shares with me some stories behind the making of Combat Obscura. All right, welcome to Vet Story, Miles. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I mean, I look, I couldn't look away from Facebook the other day when you guys dropped your trailer. I mean, I must have watched it like three or four times. I think I was on a plane recently and I was sitting next to the person and they're like, what's war like? You know, as the typical person asks a veteran, right? And I got my... Navy shirt on. And of course, I'm, I'm sitting there going, um, well, here, look at this YouTube clip. <laughs> I pulled the trailer up for Combat Obscura, and I was like, this is kind of what it looks like. 
<laughs> so I appreciate what you put out. Uh, before we get to the documentary and all the friction that's being caused by it or you know some of the fallout around it, uh, talk to me a little bit about your background. You were combat cam, right? Yeah, so I enlisted out of high school. Um, I saw a full metal jacket. It was a successful full metal jacket, and I saw, you know, the main character was a combat correspondent, and I was like, wow, I can just join the military and not have to go to college, not have to go to journalism school, and just be out there filming the war. I wanted to see exotic Vietnam, the jewel of Southeast Asia. I, uh, I wanted to meet interesting and stimulating people of an ancient culture and kill them. I wanted to be the first kid on my block to get a confirmed kill. And to me, that seemed really, you know, I had a glamorized kind of idea of it, I think. But to me, it seemed like the most important thing to be doing at, at 18. <laughs> no, I'm a combat correspondent. Oh, you seen much combat? <laughs> well, I've seen a little on TV. <laughs> And in fact, Private Joker really did give it kind of a gloss. It 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 wasn't always yeah. that glamorous. But I want you to know that when I was in the Navy, I was generation before you. I was in the '90s, and my dream billet, if it were open, was to go to combat cam out of Little Creek because I, they were such hard chargers. Everyone I'd ever like hung out with from the comm cam teams, you know, had ribbons and 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 shit that we didn't get in the fleet. And I was like, man, I want to do that. How'd you do that? And uh, was it tough to get into combat camera? Because there aren't a no, whole lot of billets opening. Not at all. I mean, I did the ASVAP test. My recruiter was like, you basically choose anything. I was like, how about combat camera? And he was like, what the fuck is combat camera? <laughs> so, like, I knew more about him that more, more about it than he did. You know, he looked it up and he got me the paperwork. And, you know, it was pretty easy. As a Marine, then, um, you go through Marine Corps boot camp and stand there on the golden footprints, right? And, yeah, you, yeah. and you, your birthplace, you become a devil dog, you become a Marine. Uh, did you then go to MC school, trained as like a Dinfos trained killer? I mean, yeah, you go to MC, you do combat training after boot camp. And then, um, yeah, then you go to Dinfos, uh, and they basically give you a crash course on whatever you are. Back when I was in, it was, they separated like combat correspondents and photographers and videographers, all that was separate. And now it's all merged into one, but back then it was separate. And so you get like a crash course of your video, you they do like, uh, teach you how to edit and stuff and put you in the woods and shoot paintballs at you. You got to film it. It's uh, sort of, you don't really come out like knowing that much about video. You kind of pick it up on the job, you know, um, depending on if you have good NCOs and stuff that know what they're doing. But yeah, then they send you out. So straight out of school, as we all were, you know, when I finished my training at Dinfos, you know, you get to the fleet and you're like, look at me. I got all these ideas. How does shit really work? When you got there, are you well received when you say I'm your com cam guy, or are most dudes like, "What are you here for, bro? What is your deal?" Yeah, it's it's both. Like, I mean, it depends on on the uh, on the unit. Like, one six had combat camera guys with them and Marja and stuff, so they were like, so they were into it. I mean, they liked, you know, my nickname was YouTube, and the other photo guy was in Facebook. Was, you know, they wanted to be 
Facebook famous and stuff and get their images, get their, you know, photos out there and stuff. Um, but yeah, you get, you get your share of, like, I had a lieutenant who was like, are you like, are you actually getting deployed with us? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my job, you know? And, but yeah, you get, it's mixed. You get some guys that just think you're going to get them in trouble, you know, taking pictures without, uh, without their proper gear. Like that was the big thing. Like, Oh, first sergeant's going to, chew my ass because he released a photograph of me without my gloves on or something, you know, or my my eye pro on. And then you have the guys that are just like, dude, you have to come out with us in this operation. Like, they'll like get rid of, you know, one asset to to take in combat camera, you know, just so that we're there documenting. And in the spirit of all things military, I mean, you earn your place in the tribe. I mean, they bust your balls enough times you bust right back they you know you show you can carry the gear or you can help and be some sort of assistance you earn your stripes you get to be part of the club so uh did you find that that kind of took place too like once you settled in for a couple days couple weeks like yeah i mean once you start standing like mostly they just want you to stand post occasionally because they fucking hate everyone hates standing post um so yeah like i was going on two patrols a day with with each squad, you know, I was trying to, because I was trying to film as much as I could, but then I'd come back and stand post and stuff like that kind of shows that you're not just there to um, do your job, but you can also help them out. They need it. Cool. Last question before we get into the movie. Um, when you're on patrol and you're lugging the gear, right? So you got your camera and some battery packs and you probably don't need lighting, but I mean, you're, you're lugging camera <laughs> gear around. Um, do you also have to carry a rifle? Because what happens in the situation when shit goes down? Like, you have to put down your camera and pick up a gun and be a Marine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone has a rifle. Like, you don't leave the wire without without a rifle. But, um, yeah, there's actually a scene in the film, but not to get into it just yet, but there's, there's a scene towards the end when Jacob Levy gets shot. And in that moment, I was just like... I saw two guys on a hill. You see the camera drop to the ground and I start firing at these two guys on a hill who were just like, in hindsight, were just sitting there, I think, watching us. But in that heightened moment, I thought they were armed. Thankfully, I didn't hit them. Um, but yeah, that was like, that was the one time I actually fired my, my rifle. Right on, man. Well, I know that you brought so much together in this film and gave us a glimpse that few war films really do because most of the time war films are done, you know, with actors and it's Hollywood magic. Even if it's on location, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, cut, take two, you know, a lot of chances to get it right and to make it look perfect. This is raw and this is gritty and this is highly imperfect. This is the way it really kind of looked through your lens. Talk to me about first what inspired you to make the movie. Yeah, I mean, I mean, first, just having um, these memories that I was trying to deal with uh, on my laptop, you know, and then second, like, after like, coming to terms with it, trying to make something as honest as possible, you know, and something that, not just honest, but something new that I hadn't really seen before, even in other war documentaries like Restrepo and stuff. Um yeah, that's that was kind of like the main impulse um, to do it, to, to just kind of, because I just got sick of seeing the same inaccurate portrayals, you know? And I was enrolled in film school at the time, so, you know, 
it felt like something I should do. Right on. I mean, it was, it was a year. I worked on it for years, you know, it was sort of an obsession. Yeah. 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 Um, and it gives people a glimpse. Like if you were to tell somebody to describe a combat obscure to somebody that just said, Hey, tell me about your movie miles. <laughs> um, uh, you know, a civilian, no military background at all. Um, how do you describe uh, what you put together for someone? Um, well, I guess like the tagline is, you know, the, the, the film that the Marine Corps doesn't want you to see, but it's, you know, it's, it's not, that's sort of an exaggeration on, on some levels, but it's also, it is, you know, it's an inside perspective, uh, of the daily life of, of Marines in Afghanistan. It's not from a civilian. It's not from, you know, a journalist or a filmmaker or reporter. It's just, like one of the guys, it's like the footage you see on on YouTube occasionally that, that soldiers post themselves and stuff. It's like a compilation of that, and you truly get um, you get un- almost uncomfortably close to these guys because I was one of them, and I think um, I think it's really important to have that that honesty and that perspective, you know, as we move forward and and just closing the military civilian gap, you know, cause it's like you said, it's just, there's, it's just such a, the military is such a mystery to most civilians, you know, the wars. Yeah, man. And I'm super glad you did it. Um, I have to ask as a guy that was in the military myself, how in the hell did you end up with this footage on a laptop? And if I can ask, was it legal? I mean, like, did you have to, uh, what kind of hurdles did you have to clear to get this B-roll put together? Because, I mean, that's the Marine Corps shit, isn't it? Well, it's, it's complicated. I mean, it's, it's a super gray area. Um, as far as, like, quote-unquote, taking the footage, I mean, everybody has cameras out there, you know. We include a lot of helmet cam from, or GoPro footage from the grunts that were with one stick. Um, and so like no one, and you, you know, like the military is totally, it's, it's a disorganization. It's not, it's totally mismanaged and and bureaucratic and no one's really, you know, looking at who's got cameras and who's filming, you know, like going through our footage and stuff. I mean, you know what they're, they were mainly looking like when we left from Afghanistan, what they were mainly looking for was guys bringing like weapons you know, AK-47s, drugs. One guy tried to bring a grenade on the plane that he he found in a weapons cache. Not a smart move, obviously. Right. Um, So that's, like, that's the kind of stuff that they were, that they're looking for when you actually peace out, you know, from any country. Um, Mm, Okay, okay. But as far as the legal stuff, it's complicated. I am working with some great, you know, First Amendment institutions, and uh, you know, we're lucky that the Marine Corps is not pursuing legal action at this time, and we're pretty confident that you know we're we're very confident to release the film and that it's that it is legal. Um, yeah. Cool. Have you had anybody from the Marine Corps review it and get back to you with their thoughts? Because, I mean, I know in the public affairs Mm -hmm. world, you know, obviously everything we did was edited and they got sent up to a, 
you know, command sergeant major or, you know, a public affairs officer, 03 or above, and then they signed off on it. Um, you were out of the military yep. when you made this, but did you get a blessing? Did you get any indication that the Marine Corps had seen this and been like, well, that's pretty legit? <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it a blessing. I mean, I, I submitted it through the Pentagon because I didn't want to deal with the Marine Corps. And they have this office that basically just reviews uh, XCIA guys, manuscripts, and, and guys are writing books. And they look for classified information. And they cleared it. You know, there's obviously nothing classified in it. It's just regular ground pounders. There's no special forces that I was filming or like combat operations center and stuff like that. There was, I wasn't filming that stuff. So they cleared it. But in that process, they also sent it to the Marine Corps. And I met with uh, Lieutenant Colonel with the media entertainment liaison office. And he was actually pretty chill. Like he was, he wasn't like, he wasn't against the film. He just kind of wanted to understand it and like where I was coming from. Um, he was fine with it, like being shown. There wasn't, it wasn't like they came down on me, like, you know, the hammer up story. It was just, it was sort of, it was a back and forth, you know, and it was sort of, uh, on some level, I think they, that he got that one Lieutenant Colonel, he understood it, that I was trying to make an honest betrayal. Um, but I think the like, other brass and their statements that have come out are pretty against it, you know, and they want to look at it like, these are just some bad apples, you know, this isn't reflective of, uh, reflective of the military as a whole, all blah, blah, blah. You know, the typical uh, spiel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, to that, uh, let's talk a little bit specific, real quick, um, about the film. What were some parts of it you think that maybe the bigger brass had some problems with? And I'll just, I'll just throw it out there: the uh, smoking the smoking the hash through the Pringles can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How in the hell did you even come upon that? And tell me the story with that scene and what the DOD f- said about it. Uh, well, that scene was pretty um, typical of a, of a night spent at this one patrol base that I that I was at a lot. The guys there, you know, we they we were smoking pot a lot. Um, it, it, you know, it was everywhere. We were getting it from the locals. There were weed fields. There was opium and. Uh, you know, we were the, some of them were like, you had like the super gym rat guys that were ordering steroids and stuff from out, from another, from like Japan and places like that. But then you had the stoners. It was kind of, you know, the military is like high school, you know, you have your cliques and stuff. Right, right. And I kind of drifted and I tried to film both. Like you see the, you know, right out dudes working out at night and stuff. And you see them smoking weed and you see them, some guys playing chess. It's like, it's, it's, it's you know, a very diverse group. But, um, yeah, he, that was like a typical night smoking. I think that was opium. And that wasn't, um, and that wasn't that uncommon though. Like that wasn't just a fluke. Like the one time you found it and they were like, what should we do with it, Sarge? I don't know. Let's smoke it. It happened a lot. I mean, I, I remember patrolling through, it was Ramadan and it was patrolling through a field and everybody, you know, they were all inside, um, praying and stuff. And there was one farmer outside in this field alone and I, we walked past him we were talking to him and he literally reaches into his pocket and pulls out uh, a piece of hash the size of a baseball and just gave it to us. I don't know why. I don't know why he 
I mean, we didn't have to import it. He just gave it to us. But, um, yeah, that lasted like the whole deployment almost, you know? <laughs> I can imagine. Was, I mean, this, yeah. the, the size of a freaking baseball, dude, that must have been like 50 grams or something. That's crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. Um, so that kind of stuff happened all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, not everybody, like I said, not everybody smoked. It, it wasn't, it's not supposed to, I'm not trying to universalize these guys or this, the experience in any way, but um, it was definitely very common. Okay. You got to understand also, like a lot of these guys were 21, 22, and they had um, multiple pumps before. So they were just, they were, they, they were done with the Marine Corps. They were getting out as soon as we got home and uh, they were bored. And, you know, it was, it was just, yeah, it was kind of like, um, it was just a thing to do, I guess. Yeah, man. And again, an unvarnished look at life on the ground for a grunt and you know you told it like it was so i can respect it and appreciate it um what were some of the harder things to edit together you said that part of assembling this movie was kind of cathartic for you it was a way to kind of i don't know deal with your demons um what were some of the things that were hard to put together and edit um obviously you know the, the scene with levy getting shot i had felt i was just for shooting that you know i didn't I had mixed feelings about including that. Um, I had to speak to his mom, you know, I met with her. She had already like seen the footage uh, a long time ago because the guy I had given it to the guys after it initially happened, like when we got home. And uh, so she had seen it, but she hadn't seen the whole film. We watched it, and you know, she gave it her blessing. Other things like killing a chicken, you know, like a lot of you'd be surprised how many people are most upset by the chicken scene. And not the dead Afghan, not, you know, Levy, but like these guys killing a chicken. That was hard to include, but it ultimately came down to assembling it into a way that was going to challenge people's feelings about the military, but also about death, you know, because that scene is included right before the, um, the dead shot keeper. And um, I wanted to show how you kind of have to externalize death, you know, when you're, when you're out there. And the sort of humorous nature of that you have to, the humorous way that you have to treat death almost, you know, just to get by. Yeah. And you yourself, um, did the movie help you come to terms with what you did witnessed and what you saw on that deployment? I was going kind of crazy working on it for so long. You know, I split up with my wife because of it, sort of. Um, and yeah, just finishing it. Fine. And, Coming to like an honest interpretation, because at first, when I first started working on it, I wasn't being honest and I wasn't, I was trying too hard to explain things as if I was reaching a civilian audience that wasn't going to understand. And then I realized the only way that they can understand is by just showing it, you know, and they'll get the picture, they'll get it themselves and they'll be able to do it internally instead of having some better and explain it to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like don't tell um, people what to take away from it. Let each and every person take away what they want from it kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, man. Ultimately, with this movie, are you trying to glorify life in the Marine Corps? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think a lot of that's conflicted about it, you know, because it's such a transformative period of your life, you know? Um, and it does define who you are, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm proud. Um, probably I made it out alive. 
but I have a lot of conflicted feelings about why I wanted to go in the first place and why we were ultimately there and what, um, what effect we had and if it was positive or negative in the, in the ultimate outcome, you know? Yeah. And I guess that speaks to a question that I, I wasn't ready to ask, but I might as well, since we're here, um, having been there, do you feel that the world's a better place? Do you feel that Afghanistan's a better place? Do you think that we achieved the mission? I don't think there was a mission. I'm not sure what the mission was. Um, I don't see how they thought what we were doing was going to just magically work. Um, and then what was the end goal? Like what would happen if we defeated the Taliban? Would we, would we set up a government in Helmand province where people don't even identify as Afghans? And they're like, how do we, we're very good at going in and, you know, bringing, um, you know, death and destruction on a certain level. You know, we're good at, we're good at fighting. Yeah, um, yeah. That's what we're, that's what we're good at. But in a place like Afghanistan, that can't be the only thing that you're doing. Like you, there has to be an end goal. There has to be some kind of next step, even if we were to wipe out the Taliban. And that never came, that never really, I mean, even the generals have no fucking answer to that. I've never heard a decent answer. Like, what was going to be the outcome or what was the desired outcome mm-hmm. and what would happen after we left? Were we just going to stay there forever? Which we have at this point. We've been there. It's, you know, we're still there. It's 18 years going on 19. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. If I could magically appoint you or put some extra stars on your collar or make you just in charge. Oh God. What do Don't you, do that. Th- yeah, right. <laughs> let's let the filmmaker tell us what we should do now, but really what, What's an after-action strategy look like, in your humble opinion, having been there? Is there something that we could do that we don't do that would help the people in these areas that have been taken over by terrorism that we've tried to liberate? Well, I mean, okay, just focusing on Afghanistan. Each country is different. Sure, sure, sure. Um, But just Afghanistan, we created the Taliban, you know, back in the 80s when Russia invaded. We were funding the Mujahideen to fight against, you know, against the Soviets. Um, they in turn then became the Taliban. So we're we're responsible for their their rise, right? Um, I think we should have looked into more just talking with them at first. If they're just going in and bombing. And you know, they were housing Al Qaeda, but they weren't like I don't see the Taliban as the same as ISIS or Al Qaeda. You know, I see them as a local Afghan and Pakistani militia that wants to have their version of uh, Sharia law and stuff enforced on the locals. So they are oppressive, but they're not so extreme that they can't, that they're not open to talking, which is exactly what we're doing now after 18 years of, you know, senseless violence. The Afghan army has lost more soldiers in the past two years than we did the entire time we were there. They're just getting massacred. And the Taliban has taken over almost all, every region that we were in, uh, and in like home province especially. So we're ta- we're finally talking with them, and we're going to the table. I think that could have been done from the beginning, um, because I don't. You have to look at. You can't just say, "Okay, let's fucking kill them all, or let's get rid of them." You have to look at, "Okay, well then what? And who's better? Who's better than? Who's going to take the place once they're gone? And can we talk to them?" Are they open to negotiating? Which they are. I mean, they're saying they're 
but I don't, you know, I don't trust Italian as, next, as much as the, as the next guy, but they are open to certain uh, shifts mm-hmm. in their policy and their interpretation of Islam and everything. At least they've expressed that. Wow. But, complicated, man. <laughs> I don't want that responsibility. You know, I don't want to, to have to say what we should or shouldn't do. I just think that we should be looking at the big picture more in the future and not just the immediate, like, you know, intervention yeah, type yeah, yeah. of military strategy. No, and it's geopolitical chess, and I feel you on that. I mean, like, you can't just look yeah. at the move that you have to make. You have to think about what's going to happen three moves ahead because you yeah. are going to play this game for quite a long time. Um, I've just always wondered. No one's ever told me when I've asked that question, um, make it look like America. And I always wondered, like, okay, how come in our wake we don't just leave behind seven strip malls, a Home Depot, and a Walmart? Like, isn't that what the people there crave? And at no point from talking to any warfighter have I ever heard that that's what the people wanted. We didn't set a town up for them. (laughs) Right on. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, Miles, uh, great talking to you about this. Uh, The movie is Combat Obscura. And uh, where can I see it? Where can everybody catch this? I think it's still in a few theaters different places and it'll be for, for a while but it's also on iTunes and Amazon and Google Play and Vudu and all, all that good stuff so just download it wherever I download movies and TV shows and podcasts and stuff like that right yep alright Combat Obscura and I know you raised a lot of eyebrows some blood pressure got raised and uh, I just hope you keep making movies man because you got a gift and uh, I really appreciate you sharing alright thanks a lot man thanks for having me appreciate it